This is organic. <laughs> uh, just a little uh, that's behind the practice. That's not a little practice. A little behind the scenes <laughs> since you just tuning in. I did the whole intro, everything we got talking. I realized the record button wasn't hit. What's up, James? Uh, Mike check one two one two. <laughs> Welcome into another episode of the KZ Community Beat. I'm your host Ross Martinez. We are recording now, James, so you know. In the hot seat, my guest this week is James Agabara Bryson, Andy Malone's great grand nephew. Wears many hats, and uh, let me take you through them real quick before we get started in our very organic, now recording conversation. <laughs> he is the founder of New Millennium Institute, founder of Annie Malone Center for Development, and founder of Harvesting Dreams Program, author of Annie Malone, First Black Female Millionaire, and also founder of Annie Malone Mental Health Initiative. We got a lot to talk about today, James, but the first thing that brought you my way on my timeline i saw the um harvesting dreams program it was in week news i'm like ooh, that piqued my interest so tell me a little bit about this program and what you guys provide for our community well harvesting dreams is probably about 14 years old i started uh, when i was employed at icc uh, i used to be a trio director which focused upon low-income first-generation students uh getting them uh, through college and, and helping them transition uh, successfully into a four-year university. Then I was the uh, <coughs> excuse me. Then I was a personal counselor, academic counselor, career counselor uh, for for ICC. And during that time when I was there, uh, there was a concern by Dr. Irwin, who was the president, of the lack of. Uh, diversity, uh, particularly as it, as it pertained to African-American males. Uh, I was uh, part of the uh, Minority Recruitment and Retention Committee, and it was from that committee that we started trying to develop strategies to bring in more African-American employees. Mm, start from the top and then build your way sir. to the foundation. Mm. So as, as Dr. Irwin said, he said that I can count probably maybe on a good day five african-american male employees mm -hmm. so as a committee i want you all to develop some strategies on how not just employees but we're also having a big challenge uh, on retaining african-american males they have the lowest retention rate the lowest graduation rate uh, uh, on probation the most and, and so we're really struggling with how to deal with with that that student population. So as a result, uh, Harps and Dreams popped into, into my mind. Uh, plant your seeds to harvest your dreams. Uh, we started with maybe six. Uh, the program, uh, many thought, was, was, was doomed to fail because we're talking about a commuter college, Illinois Central College. When your classes are done, the students are usually gone. Yeah. Uh, so the strategy was how can we make students entice students to stay through a lunch hour and they got no food. Uh, and then we're going to talk about academics. Uh, <laughs> you kind of set yourself up against the wind, you know what I'm saying? Well, I'm telling you, it, it was a big challenge, but through the engagement, Harrison's Dreams uh, theoretical foundation was to have a, a group that would provide uh, student support and engagement and allow students to have a warm and welcoming environment and talk about the issues and challenges that the, that the students are having. 
And so with that in mind, uh, that's how Harvest and Dreams really kind of kind of evolved. It went from six uh, to as many as as fifty. Wow, uh, that's that's a big jump up. That's a big jump up. Uh, we had uh, African American male conferences as part of the program, talent shows. Uh, we had uh, uh, workshops and things, uh, male and female relationships. We talked about the N word and what does it really mean. Uh, we talked about what I focus upon. I got my I got my masters. Uh, I used to work for workforce development for about 17 years. And there was an interesting phenomenon that I would see. Workforce development, and we still have it now, but the time that I had it was called Job Training Partnership Act. Now it's called Workforce Development. So it would target low-income uh, individuals, individuals who say they want employment or training to be employed. And everyone would come in and be, hey, Mr. Bryson, man, I need a job. Uh, oh, okay. What kind of work you do? Man, I don't know. Which one pay the most? <laughs> well, I, don't, I don't know. Tell me what kind of work you want. Uh, I want to be a welder. Okay. All right. Can you weld? A little bit. Okay. Well, let me call an employer. It's called OJT on the job training. Uh, let me call an employer. We had a pool of employees. Call. Hey, I'm going to set you up. Is it okay if I, if I bring send Tim for an interview tomorrow at 9 o'clock? Now, Tim, you sure you want this job? Yeah, Mr. Brown, I really, man, I need a job. Okay, 10 o'clock. Tim never showed up. Mm. Called an employer. Our employer called me. Where's Tim? Uh, he didn't show up? Uh, no, he didn't show up. Tim, where are you, man? Oh, man, I forgot about that. I forgot about that interview. So here comes another one. Uh, they want to be a nurse or they want to be a truck driver. They want... They want to go back to school to get training. Okay. Uh, the program will pay for your transportation. It will pay, pay for all your supplies, your tuition, child care. Anything you want, we'll be taking care of it. Really? So like a full service program. Full service program. And we see that now. Uh, the difference is you get a stipend, you would get paid. So, so that was the old workforce model. Now that's been adopted with the new workforce model. But this is the, the same challenge. You may or may not show up for your class. Usually what happened was that individual would start the class. You know what, Mr. Bryson, what? Man, I don't like truck driving. And quit. But they would make sure they would get that first check. Then quit. And so this became the norm uh, of the job training component. And so I was curious. I'm saying, what is this? And so I ended up doing my thesis on uh, a concept called self-handicapping behavior. Oh, that's intriguing how you, the verbiage behind it, self-handicapped behavior. And now we, we call it uh, social and emotional learning. Uh, we didn't call it that <clears throat> then. Uh, we didn't know what to call it. Matter of fact, uh, when I did my, my thesis, a uh, master's degree, you know, that's a two-year degree, it took me 10 years. But the good thing was is that it took me two years, what am I going to write about? Two years to write it, two years to understand what I wrote, <laughs> and then two years <laughs> to get in front of, 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 of my uh, advisors. But thank God my uh, 
my master advisor, they didn't know about self-handicapping behavior either. So that was easy. I had to have a whole panel. It only <laughs> lasts about 10 minutes. But the concept is still the same. So we, we ended up developing a what we call a self-assessment workshop, which was a week. So you say you want to be a welder. Okay. So you say you want to be a nurse. Okay. So you say you want a job. Okay. Well, we're going to put you through this self Self-assessing. We're going to identify yourself. I, I wrote a whole, got a whole workbook that I have on that, which is uh, really asked questions like, uh, I hate planning ahead, for example. Uh, I start too many things and don't finish. So it's a way kind of like weaned out individuals that don't have that ambition to go through the program and get kind of like the stamp. Well, it, the, the first part is to assess those behaviors and find out. So this is a self-assessment. So if you can't plan ahead, how in the world am I going to send you to college? If you can't plan ahead, uh, hate planning for the future, how are you going to set goals? Uh, one question, another question might be, uh, I know I need to change, but don't know where to start. So, so it put through a, a uh, I have a lot of stress in my life. So the question would be, uh, do you identify these? Now my next question is, how has that stopped you from getting where you want to be? So now you have to identify and assess that. So it's a way of kind of taking out the guessing game of trying to figure out individual where it's like, no, tell us where we can help you. Tell us where we can meet you at rather than trying to get you to where we need you to be. It is like you need to become more self-aware and do some self-assessment and be honest and identify why you're not where you want to be. And then the other thing you have to do, you need, you need to tell me, which is yourself, how it's impacted your success. You're going to tell me. I'm not going to tell you, and I'm going to listen. Now, the other question that, that, that you're going to tell me is how do you plan to overcome it? So now we're at a whole other game now. I put everything back on you. And so these are probably the first time in most cases that these questions have been asked. I feel that my friends just don't want me to succeed. All right, how that impact you? You going along with that? Oh, so it makes you start self-analyzing the, for lack of better terms, the weak points in your the current life. Self-handicapping behaviors. Huh. So if you can't plan ahead, that's self-handicapping. If you don't plan for the future, that's self-handicapping. You have poor friends around you. That's poor decision-making. That is self-handicapping. If you have friends that are holding you back, first of all, how does that impact you? You have friends that you feel don't want you to succeed. Okay. How does that impact you? Well, well, most of you never thought about it. But you're going to tell me because it is impacting you. Oh, yeah. And not only are you going to tell me, but you're going to give me the strategy, yourself the strategy, on how to overcome that. And that becomes your plan. Have you seen a lot of fight back in the initial steps of self-analyzing? Most people, the scale goes from uh, zero, that means I'm not self-handicapping at all, to five. Five is I'm deeply involved in self-handicapping behavior. So for those individuals who come in faking, will primarily have a bunch of zeros. And so when they have a bunch of zeros, so you hate planning ahead. Is that what you put down? You got a zero. So you do love planning ahead. Yeah, man, I ain't got no problem with that. Okay, five years from now, what you want to do? Uh, 
We never thought about that. Then quit lying and make that a five. <laughs> so it's like, quit with the BS. Come on, let's just be authentic. Just like we also call self-handicapping behavior is the same as tripping. Yeah. So it's yeah. called stop tripping yeah. and start living. So so, <laughs> so you self-handicapping right now by lying. So now we got this conversation. Stop wasting both our time. Stop wasting both our time, but particularly your time, because you've already told me by 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 hiding from your issues, you're not job ready. Because the program ready. the program's gonna be here when you're ready. But are you ready? Are you ready? But as long as you tripping <clears throat> and involved in that self handicapping behavior by hiding, what stimulates self handicapping behavior are 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 a number of things, but we're more aware of it now, but in my thesis and thing. My thesis was called Self-Handicapping Behavior as a Barrier to Employment. Hmm. But there are causes. Uh, usually uh, now uh, trauma, which we now call post-traumatic stress. Most post-traumatic stress is undiagnosed in low-income and communities of color. Undiagnosed. Have you seen the lie that, how has that matured or grown or declined over the years of the program. So you said the program has been around for 14 years, was it? Yes. Uh -huh. So in those 14 years, have you seen a drastic change in the PTSD within our colors, our well, communities of color? No, let's look at let's look at what's going on now. We got eight-year-olds stealing cars. Yeah. 12-year-olds stealing cars. Uh, we have homicide rate at a much younger, much younger rate. We have uh, more shootings now, got automatic weapons, uh, more drugs, higher rate of dropout. Uh, uh, the community is, 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 has a much higher poverty rate, but that's associated with educational rate. Uh, the workforce development programs where everything is paid for, individuals are not participating in it. All those are self-handicapping behaviors. So, no, have not seen a, a, a change as a matter of fact it's almost increased uh, hmm. to that to that component like as an individual James is that ever is that ever kind of disheartening over the years seeing the the increase of it or do you still stay by the program like you know for those I'm able to help I'm able to change lives this is this is what I have uh, grown to to become more aware of is that you can't help everyone and you truly can't help anyone that's not willing to help themselves I have to have your permission yeah. to help you and you have to give yourself permission to be helped and so people who have this is, this is from the, the workbook but people who have a history and we're talking about mindsets now because it is a it's, it is a mindset poverty mindset uh, Isolation mindset. It's, a, it's isolation uh, mindset. Uh, when you have when you have a poverty mindset, that is isolation. You create very very small comfort zones, and that comfort zone might only be in a one block area. So it's like triggering your fight or flight response in a way. No, it's like self incarceration. Huh. I can't go across on Western. I can't go on the North End. I can't go uh, over in East Peoria. Why, man? Because, man, them, 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 them peeps over there, man, that ain't my block. Uh, I, my mindset, I asked young folks in, in high school, man, so five years, man, you you trying to get your GED now. 
special program for you. So, man, what you going to do after you graduate? Man, shoot. Uh, I'm being in the trenches. So, man, you don't need a high school diploma for that. You, you, you can go in the trenches right now, but let me tell you something. It's easy to get in the trenches. Let me ask you this question. How do you plan to get out? Man, I ain't never thought about it. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's because you're tripping. <laughs> so, so, so the program uh, is really designed to engage. Uh, most of this behavior is unconscious. People who have a history of failure expect to fail. And they will develop strategies that will make them fail. Is it consciously or uh, subconsciously? It is both. It is conscious and unconscious. Most self-handicapping behavior is unconscious. So now you have a test tomorrow, man. Nine o'clock. You know your test. But you're going to stay out all night. Uh, not study at all. You come in. You, you only thing you got down on your test is your name. I said, man, so what you do last night? Man, man, my cousin came over, man. He kept me out all night. No, you let him keep you all night. And let me tell you why. Because you're tripping. You didn't want to succeed at this test. What you wanted to do is have an excuse for failing. <laughs> so self-handicapping behavior is developed through trauma. But the main sense is a, it's a sense of incompetency. How so? People who have a history of failure feel incompetent. They don't have a, people who have a history of success expect to succeed. Well, yeah, it's like whenever you ask Kobe, what was it, his infamous uh, or his famous line was like, hey, you guys won the game. He's like, we ain't won the series. It's like, I, I expect to win this game. That's I'll correct. celebrate when I get that championship. That's correct. So that's a mindset. So individuals who self-handicap, <clears throat> who have a history of, of failing, expect to fail. And they're going to develop strategies to make that happen. But when you develop them strategies, though, you have a sense of incompetency. Your self-esteem is lower. And when you have a low self-esteem, instead of, you, instead of you, you see challenges as problems, you don't plan ahead. You don't develop strategies because your self-esteem is low. Your sense of incompetency is low. So, therefore, you you engage at a higher rate of these self-destructive behaviors. So, you keep yourself in the area where you find success, even though it's minimum at best, this brings comfort. Or, you can look at it from a different perspective. You keep yourself in environments where you're going to fail at being successful. So, what are the tools do you use with this program, Harvesting Dreams, to help individuals that are into trenches get away from that I'm zero 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 to self-assessing I'm five and then helping them give them the hand out out the trenches like yo let me help you out well the, the, the first thing is that uh, when I come in in the whole program is that uh, we want to know uh, do you want to succeed you're here at college but are you do you plan to graduate or are you just here in college to brag Man, what you doing, man? I'm in college. <laughs> Do you plan to graduate, man? I don't, I don't know. So, so, so we engage where where they are. 
what, what they want to do. We help them. What is your vision? Five years from now, man, what do you see yourself doing? Uh, I'm be a carpenter. Okay, so, so give me an idea how much a carpenter makes. Uh, give me an idea of where there's jobs. Give me an idea of the educational level that it takes to be one. Yeah. So you engage your thinking processes right away. And the other thing you do, if you don't have the answer, okay, so look, if, if that's what you want to be, you got to research it. So we help individuals develop an educational plan, uh, a career plan. But also, when I come in, I'm going to challenge you. So, man, so uh, did you find out what it takes to be in carpet? No, get on your phone. Get on your phone right now, okay? I'm going to come back to you in 10 minutes. <laughs> so, so, so you develop a structure where you're expecting students to succeed, and you're holding them accountable for their success. You hold them accountable for their failure also, but you also do it in a firm and loving way. So let me ask you this. You're providing this in this program. You, you instill this level of confidence. Who did that for you? That you're now in turn pouring that back into our community? Well, I would raise in public housing. Two of them. Warner Homes, Tap Homes. And the people that I grew up with and seen uh, either dead, strung out, or incarcerated. So I had to make a decision. Do I want to be like that? No, I, I don't. Uh, but the other thing, which I just found out because of Annie Malone, I didn't know how to relate to Annie Malone. Yeah, what age did you find that out? 68. 68 years of life, and you just found out. Yeah, my grandparents, I knew they, they were with an organization, and I knew they were with Poro, but I didn't know what that was. Let's see, so my grandmother died, and my grandmother and grandfather ran Poro College. They were the executors, uh, my uncles. Uh, but I, you know, I, wasn't, I wasn't involved with that. I mean, my mom, <coughs> we, we were in the trenches. Uh, so hmm. I would say, you ever heard of a term called in, inequity? Not inequity, inequity. No, what's this? So inequity is a is a is a is a spiritual term, which just simply means uh, what your parents, grandparents, and your lineage does, it'll be passed to you, whether curses or blessings. Hmm. I used to be a probation officer, and I'm seeing uh, most of the crime and things that are that I that I see, I recognize the name. I know your daddy. I know your grandfather, I know your mother, I know your mother's sisters, and it's not surprising what you, where you're at, because in many times, that's what they've done. And so it's a spiritual law that is passed on. Uh, with me, Annie Malone, uh, I thought everything that, I, that I'm doing mm -hmm. was me. I didn't know that I was being guided. And so this is what I call ancestral guidance. The ancestors guide you. You get to blessings or curses. No, that's true. So, so I believe that my success was under guidance of, of Annie, Annie Malone, as well, <laughs> well as some of my other. Now, I had some uncles. They was crazy. They was all nuts, but they were still uh, uh, 
good folks who would always check on me. I, I grew up, my father wasn't in my life, but his brothers were. So I had eight daddies. <laughs> <laughs> well, it takes a village to raise. It takes a village, and that's what's missing now. Is, is the village and things. So how would you say if someone that's struggling with the negative ancestral guy that all you have is individuals in your family chain that are X, Y, Z, the, the negative, how do you break that? Like what wisdom do you have for somebody that says, this isn't who I want to be at all. This isn't who I envision myself or where I'm supposed to be going. I want more. So one exercise is, and in, in, my workbook is, it looks very simple because it's designed to be simple. But the impact and the way to make you think is very complex and challenging. So one of the things I ask is, uh, how have your parents impacted you? Your parents can be your best friend or worst enemy. Mm -hmm. Next question is, which are they for you? I may not ever thought about that. Now's the time to think. Yeah, because I know I, I look up to my mom and dad as hardworking individuals that they instill the you sleep when you die type mentality, which can be conducive sometimes or negative, depending on how you look at it. You know, so, yeah. So you flip the mirror around them like, hey, OK, let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. What roadblocks do you have? Mm -hmm. Well, the question is. Man, my daddy was never around. Well, my daddy was locked up all the time. Okay, so that's, that's what I'm asking you. So how did that impact you? And was your dad your best friend or worst enemy? Huh. Now I'm listening. Well, my dad wasn't around. He didn't do nothing, man. Okay, got that. He was, he didn't help my mama, whatever the story is. So, so it turns out, worst enemy. Next question is this. You plan to have kids? Yeah. So what you going to be? Best friend or worst enemy? Best friend. Maybe. Maybe not. We ain't thought about it. <laughs> and what does a best friend mean to your children? You as a father. So now you start thinking. And let me tell you this. If they're your worst enemy, how are you going to overcome that? I like these lines of questions. And so, and so the whole program is designed to challenge the self-handicapping, self-limiting thoughts and behaviors. Because you got to decide if you're going to continue. I've gone to prison, man, four generations. Grandpa, son, grandson. Now we're recruiting on great-grandson. We the Johnsons, man. We in cell block six. We gonna run this. We gonna run everything up in here. Like that's intense though, because when you think about it, there, I know individuals from my own block. Some of my own people that I'm like, they take pride in that. And then there's me and other individuals like, there's so much. Yeah, you're tripping. You're, you're tripping. They say there's two places in this world that uh, are the richest in this world: is a graveyard and a prison cell. Because there's so much untapped, unused potential. That's, that's correct. There's two other places. Heaven and hell. <laughs> because Satan will reward you just as much as, as, as God. It might not, be the, souls. might not be the reward you want. <laughs> may not be, but 
But a lot of reasons why young folks go to is because everybody that was cool, everybody that you call the, the, the gangster lifestyle, money, women, and material goods. So one of the biggest things that I think that, that we're seeing, and we talk about this in the book and Hearts and Dreams too, is we're suffering, in my opinion, from a spiritual void. <laughs> but we don't examine things from a spiritual component. Ooh, explain that. That's, I like that. Well, we don't, if you don't have spiritual knowledge, spiritual things are nonsense. Because they hold no value. They're ridiculous. Because you don't understand its importance. You have no spiritual knowledge. You have no connection. Even though it's plain as day, inequity, you got five generations locked up, you got five generations of alcoholism, you got five generations of drug abuse, but you're blind to understanding that that, the root cause, is a spiritual cause. It's a void. Huh. That's so, interesting. So now they call this void, are you ready? Mental illness. I will say my best friend, he always, anytime I have anxiety, he's like, pray to God. Seek God's word. And he says he he battles with anxiety, and every time he has those moments, he starts praying. And mind you, I was raised in the church. I was an altar boy, uh, taught Sunday school, walked away, finding my way back. But I, I would say he got some value in it. Because mm -hmm. there are moments, like last night I had it, I started praying and I calmed down. Well, I'm going to tell you, when you live in a society that <clears throat> main purpose, look at the news, generates fear. Yes. Murder. Sex. Let's try to get on television. Sex, drugs, violence, itself. Sex, drugs, and violence. You, if, if you, you, uh, you can't have. I mean, now if you got a, if you got a, a relationship, you got a murder. <laughs> they go hand in hand now. <laughs> uh, love. Uh, many folks. I'm looking for love. No, you're looking for sex. You know, in our world, that is what I've been seeing more and more. Like the the running joke in music is, R&B ain't about love no more. It's about the physicality. That's right. But now you got a child. Now How are you going to teach them? Mm -hmm. Got a child that you have no connection with. Uh, mama got a child by you. Don't let you have connection with. But now you make the child in the middle. So the child just follows what it sees and what it hears. Therefore, what you see, what you hear, the music is what drives the spiritual void. That makes, that makes, you know, when you break it down that way, I look at my parents as prime examples of exactly everything you're telling me. Whereas my pops and mom, both immigrants, come to this country, hard workers. I, I don't think I've ever seen my mom without a day with, without her hands on a laptop coding something. My pops always got, he's a blue collar guy oil on his sleeves, comes in with a smile. I don't think I ever remember seeing my dad come home in a bad spirit. So when I come home now, I'm happy to be home. I leave it at, at work sometimes. Sometimes I can't, but I take my time. I go and walk with my dog. I handle it 
productively. I don't seek alcohol or weed or all that. Not saying I don't indulge every now and then, but it is what it is. Like, those are my examples. So I think this leads me to another hat that you wear, all this question, because we're talking about mental health. So you told me right before we started recording about how you're the founder of the Annie Malone Mental Health Initiative. Let me pick your brain a little bit more about that, why that was created, how you created it. Just explain a little bit more about that initiative. Well, uh, my background, I used to be a a mental health counselor. Uh, My office was in the projects. Uh, And as you know, the primary population would be low income and people of color. And we're talking about all kinds of things, uh, over-medication, uh, we're talking about uh, sexual abuse, uh, we're talking about physical abuse, uh, we're talking about unemployment, uh, we're talking about all of these things. I was right there, my office right there. So I got a, 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 a thorough background in mental health uh, at, at workforce development. Uh, I'm a workforce, uh, I was over uh, the counselors at workforce development. Uh, primarily mental health issues uh, evolved once again. When you're tripping, that's a behavioral health issue. When you are sabotaging yourself, that becomes a a mental health issue because you're stuck and you don't know why you're stuck. It's racism, might be. It's them, might be. You you, you come up with all these excuses, then you self-medicate, drugs, alcohol, then you find yourself really not wanting to do nothing, poverty. So uh, there's causes for that. So look at that. You got to get to that. Uh, what's causing that? Help overcome that. So uh, most recently, I became certified in this, in this movement. It's called Mental Health First Aiders. That's a national movement, uh, eight hours training, all kind of very intense training. Where I got uh, disillusioned, uh, with the organization was that uh, primarily those that were certified involved were white females. Hmm. I would uh, send out, uh, well, would you be interested in going here, there, communities, color, low income? No. So there's biases. Because uh, they felt unsafe? Implicit biases, hmm. uh, perhaps unsafe, might, might fall into it. Uh, Racial uh, issues, uh, implicit biases, I found was was really big uh, in in addressing mental health. You got mental health huh. biases from from those that need it, if they're low income, and people of color. Then you have the implicit bias for of those who provide the service. Uh, it's like a cultural competency. Well, I yeah, because I remember when I was at the peak of my insecurities, my anxiety, and I went to therapy for the first time. And the first individual I came across was an older white lady, about 60, 65. I felt like having to explain what I was going through on top of trying to explain the cultural significance behind it. Why me as a Mexican male have such a challenging time addressing my own emotions and feelings and insecurities. She couldn't get it. And then I went to a a younger black man and he kind of got a little bit. And then I ended up with this older Mexican lady and I just felt like she understood it completely. And it's, it's interesting when you have that. And, and, and there's a lot of truth to that. And, and COVID hit 
uh, low income and people of colors. So it was it was <coughs> a tragedy just for general population, but multiply that 10, 15, 20 times for for low income and people of color. Uh, the historical component, uh, the mistrust that, that, that communities of color have for medicine. Uh, yeah. Uh, there's, there's a bad history there. Uh, and on the other hand, there's a huge shortage of Mexican-American uh, mental health providers, African-American, uh, a huge shortage. So what happens is that the needs aren't met. Back to self-handicapping behaviors, back to crime, back to poverty, back to some of these acts and things that we're seeing uh, is a result huh. of the mental health crisis, post-traumatic stress undiagnosed. So, ooh, that leads me to another question. So, is that an excuse we use that, hey, this individual trying to help doesn't understand me culturally, so... I won't go forward with it. That is part of the biases that that those in need also suffer from. Huh. I never thought about it that way. So you have two biases. You have me or you or a white mental health care provider. Then you have you and me, people of color. I don't trust him. As a matter of fact, the more credentials you have, oh, I know I don't trust you now. <laughs> that is actually the running joke in the uh, from my blog. Like, oh, so you book book smart? <laughs> yeah. I need someone yeah. street. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. That is absolutely right. I, know, I, you're saying a lot of things that are kind of giving my perspective a bigger, wide Click lens. It. Yeah, it. I likes it. Yeah, and so therefore. It is a, an excuse. However, there's a consequence for it. Huh. Do you know? Do you know where the biggest mental health provider is for people of color and low income? Do you know who the biggest provider is? No. Who? The jail. <laughs> the amount of mental health initiative programs that go into our prison programs are numerous. Jail. The jail. You ain't made the prison yet. Oh, well, the jail. Yeah. The jail. They ha they have mental health. So now, I'm anxious. I'm full of stuff, but I don't have no insurance for a provider because you got to pay. In most cases, it's private. I don't trust you. You don't give a darn about me. There's a there's a lack of cultural competency. Uh, so therefore. In order for me to get some kind of treatment, I gotta go to jail. <laughs> I mean, it. Because <laughs> when you think about it, you imprison yourself on your own block in order to even get any type of help. Force yourself to assess your own self. You have to get locked up. Yeah. Or uh, let's say you, your, your family lives over here, over there. They can't deal with you because you're crazy as heck. Well, you need some help. And there is a thing where, uh, thing I said, when, when, when people have mental health issues, there is a denial for the person that's suffering from it. But anyway, to make a long story short, the uh, Annie Malone Mental Health Initiative was designed to provide mental health training to 
individuals who we consider our trusted community members. So it's people on the block. You don't have to have a high school diploma. You don't have to have an associate's. You don't have to have a bachelor's. You don't have to have a master's. You don't have to have a PhD. What you, what you have to have is, can I trust you, OG? So you're you're putting a positive spin, th or you're bringing back what the OG really meant from the block, somebody that knows everything you can go to for wisdom and got you protected, because that's what an OG really is. Mm -hmm. It's not the original gangsters that I got involved into within the '90s, early mm -hmm. 2000s, but the actual conceptual idea of an OG is somebody that got you whenever you don't I got figure. you. Where did that term really take a negative spin? Was it late 90s? Mm, uh, you ready? I'm wrong. I'm going to say that Superman did that. The young rappers. When Death Row Records took over, yeah. Fine. You know, everything gangster, you know, and gangster was associated with. Now, this is my thing. Italian gangsters didn't like black folks. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that you could have named yourself and imitated from. Why are you going to imitate from racist gangsters who put the heroin, the drugs, the prostitution in your neighborhood and now you're going to be just like them? So that's called the oppressor syndrome. Huh. The oppressor syndrome. So oppressor syndrome means that you unconsciously become take on the characteristics of your oppressor. Huh. Is that, I thought there was another term for that, where yeah. like you have Stockholms, where you have um, during slavery times, the slaves would adopt the slave master ideology in a way, where you had some individuals get their freedom, end up going back and having their own slaves. Yes. There's truth, there's truth to that. The Willie Lynch syndrome. Willie Linson, that's right. Which the residue is a mental thing, so all those things are tied in. But back to your question, uh, the young folks came in to say that poison isn't poison. Poison is, is a juice that you can use to enhance yourself. Hmm. But you take it, you die because it's still poison. It's just been remarketed. Huh. And we've digested this, this, this poison into this mental health issues that we're seeing. So the Animal Law Mental Health Initiative is designed to get individuals who are trusted in the community, as well as the other target population are barbers. Barbers and hairdressers and people in the beauty industry are our mental health therapists. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I went to the barbershop growing up and I would sit there and talk about my problems. And my man's resented. He would just be like, yo, this is how I would handle it. And I would go handle it. I'd come back be like, hey, I did it this way. Like, see? See what I mean? In poor world, through animal alone means physical, emotional, and spiritual healing. Now, the barber's touching you. That's healing. 
The barber is 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 grooming you. Make you physically feel. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. There's connection. But what was missing is that a barber has not been, or this industry was not, has not been trained to identify common mental health symptoms. Hmm. Man, I'm saying you're doing your hair, man. What's this? You got this little ball spot going on. What's going on with you, man? Uh, you, you been, you been sleeping? So we teach the symptoms. First of all, the mental health issues, what they are. Most are for African Americans, low income, anxiety, and depression. That's, that's the most common. So we teach what those are, what those look like. Uh, we teach you how to engage. Because uh, African Americans and people of low income have unique needs. And that the first one is cultural competency. <laughs> yeah. Can I, can I trust you? That's the first one. Uh, doing my hair, I must trust you. Man, you going to give me a shave, got a razor? Oh, yeah, I trust you. And they know what to do. It comes back to, remember, Denzel was having that interview, like, Scorsese could have directed, uh, was it The Color Purple? But he wouldn't understand the cultural nuances of, you know, getting, was it a hot coal with the thing and all that? Mm-hmm. He's like, Spike Lee could have done Goodfellas, but he wouldn't understood the actual cultural nuances of that movie. Mm-hmm. So now we bring it to mental health, mm-hmm. and you're empowering Individuals in the community, specifically barbers, with Got the knowledge, using all of them. Gangsters, you, know, you can be right out, of, right, out of, right out of jail, right out of joint, man. You can be an ex-alcoholic. But if you're willing to put in the work and to positively if impact the community. If trust you, see, if you are, hey, I'm an ex-alcoholic. Man, I'm seeing you drink, man. You cut down on that alcohol, boy. Don't you see what it's done to me? Don't tell what it did to me. And you listen. You do. You listen. Because you know I'm old Willie. You know, you know who I am. So I can talk to you. Other folks can't. You know what I mean? So that's that's the trust. But huh. now old Willie isn't isn't hasn't been trained in mental health. So so if old Willie wants to be trained in mental health, that's where the animal initiative comes in at. We will train you three hours. Uh, help you engage, and that's what it is. Engage the individuals, uh, and, and the, the big thing is, is how do you engage? Well, you have to have cultural competency and a trust. So, so these individuals are already trusted uh, uh, individuals. So now we're going to teach you now uh, what they are. You don't give it now. You're not a therapist. We're identifying your issues. Man, you got that orange <clears throat> ball spot up there, man. I've done, last week you didn't have that. Yeah, man. You been sleeping? Not much, man. So what's going on? Man, what, what, what you were? Man, my girl, man, I don't know what she doing. <laughs> well, I heard about you, girl. <laughs> <laughs> man, I don't, I don't know what she doing. What you think she doing? Man, I don't know. Old dude told me blah, 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 blah. And how'd you respond? What happened? Yeah. So you starting to address the issue start, and self-analyzing. You start to engage. Huh. And then you say, you know what, man? Something like you got anxiety, man. And they thought, well, what are symptoms of anxiety? Can't you sleep? You worrying a lot? Physical conditions? Hair loss? You eating all right? Man, I lost my appetite. That's a, that's a simple anxiety. Look, so... <clears throat> I'm going to refer you to uh, uh, Wraparound Services. Uh, they have folks down there. I'm going to call the head guy right now. 
and see if we can get you in there. Okay, would you be willing to go and talk to somebody for them? See the yes or no. Because yes, let me call right now. Blah, blah, blah. I'm finna send a, a, a tea down there. Uh, what time? Good time for you, man. 8 o'clock. Okay. Uh, Monday, 3 o'clock. Okay, yeah. Uh, hey, man, call me if you don't show up. <laughs> so, it's a referral. You just referring. Yeah. You just referring. Now, when you come back in, and the boss line ain't quite as bad. But did you did you go down there? Did you did you Nami? Nami's another one. Did you go down there and uh talk to someone? Yeah, man. When you when you scared to come back. That's how you deal with mental health. Being supportive and consistent. And somebody that you trust and you're gonna be engaged with. This has been an amazing conversation. It's definitely allowed me to get a bigger perspective of mental health and the cultural significance behind it. Now, before we wrap up, we said her name a lot. For those that are unaware of who Annie Malone was to us and to the community, and more specifically to you, can you tell us a little bit more about Annie? Well, <clears throat> Annie Malone, uh, parents were escaped slaves. Uh, Annie Malone's father was in the Union Army, was part of the Civil War, he got wounded. Uh, really never recovered. Uh, he ended up dying. And Annie Malone had 10 brothers and sisters, poor farmers. Uh, shortly after he died, her mother died. And then when her mother died, then she became orphaned. <coughs> her sister, Ada Malone, was here in Peoria. And she happened to marry my great-grandfather, who was uh, William Moody. And so when Annie Malone came to Peoria, roughly between 7 and 11 years old, she lived with her sister and my great-grandfather here in Peoria. Uh, Annie Malone attended Peoria High, uh, really never graduated because of ill health. Uh, so Mother Moody, who was also an ex-slave, all the Moody's were ex-slaves, uh, took her out into the, the woods, and, and Mother Moody was a herbist, and put together these concoctions, got Annie Malone health back, uh, still, still didn't, didn't complete school. But not only did it get her health back, but these, these herbs and things were the formula for her hair product. Hmm. And so Annie Malone, uh, took these products and moved to St. Louis, built Poro College, a five-story college, uh, one of the biggest in the world. A lot of people think that Madam C.J. Walker was the first African-American female uh, millionaire. Uh, Madam C.J. Walker was Annie Malone's student and employee. Uh, Madam C.J. Walker actually borrowed the business model for Poro and she became very rich. Hmm. But uh, Annie Malone had the largest uh, and only cosmetology college in the country. She employed 75,000 people worldwide. She, she sent two to three African-American students to, to college every year. She paid the largest taxes uh, in, in Missouri. She paid Poro College cash for me for me in dollars for that. Now imagine, uh, late early 1900s, 
You're black. You're in St. Louis. You're female. Uh, she also went through, we went through COVID. She, she went through the Spanish flu. Uh, you have Jim Crow. You have segregation. Uh, very, very limited opportunities to build a million dollar empire that was visited from people from all over the world. That had a, her college was bigger than the Civic Center. Five stories, 10,000 square feet. Really? She had trucks. She had a manufacturing. She had an ice cream parlor. She had a men's club. She had a she had. She was a, a businesswoman to the T. She was a businesswoman to the T. Now, man, this is slaves, you know, slave mentality. But back to harvesting dreams, plant your seeds, to harvest your dreams. Back to self handicapping behaviors, being able to overcome those things. Uh, that was Annie Malone. Annie Malone got married. Her husband was quite. Uh, Businessman, visionary. Uh, they were married for 13 years. Anne Malone was also, have you heard of Divine Nine by any chance? The uh, Greek letter organizations. Yes. Well, Alpha Phi Alpha, AKA Phi Beta yes, Sigma, yes, yes. Deltas. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm with it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so she was actually a pioneer in those organizations as, as, as well. Really? Uh, started, helped start those. She had her own sorority. But She's married for 13 years. She was in numerology. Uh, she was quite a woman. Uh, her middle name is Minerva. Now, Minerva is a, is, is, is a Greek name. Annie Malone, the thing about Annie Malone was that her parents knew that she was born into divinity. Now, how slaves have that knowledge, I don't know. They barely can write, couldn't write. But to have the divine knowledge that your daughter is destined to be great and be an icon. Matter of fact, I'm going to name you Minerva, which is named after Greek goddess, which means industry, which means big business, which means uh, uh, success. But I'm going to put that in your name. So where did you get that ancient wisdom as a slave to be able to do that? But more importantly than that, Minerva, you understand your mission and purpose. Hmm. And that's the other thing is that most individuals who participate self handed have no purpose. They haven't identified their purpose. Annie Malone was able to identify her purpose, live her purpose out, the law of attraction, which simply means that things that, 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 that you seek, people will be attracted to you like, like our conversation. You and I were talking, people calling us right at the moment. Uh, so that so 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 that helped Annie Malone. But she, her husband got greedy. He wanted to take over the business. Uh, he ended up uh, divorcing her. Uh, when he divorced her, he did get, uh, I think, $250,000. That's a lot of money. Back in those days. Yeah, that's a lot. She had to sell everything. At the age of 60 years old, she moved from St. Louis to Chicago. Started all over again. Uh, we were talking about uh, where, where you were from, Bronzeville. Uh, she developed uh, the Poro block, two blocks of uh, Poro College. Uh, a song, uh, which war did, the feds came in. Uh, Annie Malone, at 60, she started getting dementia. Uh, made bad decisions, wanted to keep her own books and things, but, but couldn't because of her experience in the past. So the feds came in, took over, uh, put a lien. Uh, my grandfather... Grandmother and uncles tried to intervene, 
came in and kept poor old, although they did keep poor old running for 60 years afterwards. <laughs> but but eventually, uh, Annie Malone, she died. Uh, the company kept going, but it was never reached uh, the uh, the greatness that it had prior because of uh, uh, agents stole from her income tax. Uh, people, you had Johnson & Johnson, you had much better and different black and white competitors. Uh, so the business just kind of, kind of, kind of fell from there. So that's basically. But the main thing that Annie Malone that I teach folks is that five essential life skills that I learned. Annie Malone had a vision. Without vision, people perish. Annie Malone had a plan. Annie Malone believed in self and community empowerment. You work for her five years, she give you diamond ring. You need a loan, 15 years or something, I'm going to buy it out. Your kids, I'm going to send them to college. Self and community empowerment. We're missing that today. We are. Resilience. If you can't bounce back, you'll never achieve anything. So you have to have resilience. But then the last most important thing, Amazon had a strong spiritual foundation. And that made everything <laughs> and that's basically the story of Annie Annie Malone. Uh, Annie Malone had an exhibit, has an exhibit down at the uh, Pure Riverfront Museum, thanks to uh, uh, their visionary John Morris. Uh, prior to that, uh, there was just a Black History small kiosk, looked like a desk. Seldom worked, uh, <laughs> but uh, Annie Malone, Richard Pryor, uh, Annie Malone's exhibit will be uh, expanded to have a permanent exhibit. Uh, we, last year we had our first annual Annie Malone Day, which is on her birthday, August 9th. This year we hope to, to also include, Annie Malone has in St. Louis the second largest black parade in the country. Yeah. We want to start here in Peoria, Annie Malone Parade. She uh, lived here, huh? She lived here. We want to uh, help Annie Malone uh, serve as a magnet for tourism. From Chicago, from St. Louis to Chicago, back to Peoria. So we want to track all those back and let the country know who Annie Malone is. But more importantly, young folks, because once you learn those principles, anybody can be the next Annie Malone. Whether it's in medicine, politics, finances, media, it doesn't matter. Long as you understand the principles and understand what this woman woman overcame, yeah, you can do the same. I mean, throughout those early 19s, segregation, Jim Crow laws, I mean, the, the assassination depression. of King, the depression, the depression mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. She was still able to create an amazing, yeah. yeah. I mean, she wrote an amazing story for herself. Yes. So let me ask you this. I have two questions left, and then we will end. Anybody that wants to get in contact with you, help out, or get a part of any of the programs that you run, all 300 that you got going on your name, we got the founder of New Millennium Institute, founder of Annie Malone Center for Development, founder of Harvesting Dreams Program, uh, also author of Annie Malone, First Black Female Millionaire, and also founder of Annie Malone Mental Health Initiative. All those things you got going on for you. If there's anybody that wants to get involved to participate or to service in those uh, initiatives and programs, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, 
We have a website, the Millennium uh, website. Uh, we have the Annie Malone Center for Development website, which is in its infancy. But you can contact me at 309-208-8778. All right. And this is a question I like to ask anybody. I use this podcast, a collection of stories, whether it's organizations, individuals, whatever have you. Everyone's story has that one big takeaway. So when everything's said and done, your stories comes to an end, what would you like individuals to get from your story as the individual, James Agabara Bryson? Well, there's, there's, there's two things. One is everyone has gifts and talents, <clears throat> and everyone has a purpose. If you don't know what your gifts and talents are or your purpose, uh, you will never reach your full potential. The other is, what kind of legacy do you want to leave? What, what legacy do you want to leave behind for your children's children, for the community, for yourself? Those are the things I'd like for you to ponder on. I like how you flip it back. Even at the end, you still flip the mirror back on us. My man. All right. There's been another episode of the KZ Community Beat. I'm your host, Ross Martinez. My guest this week has been James Agabara Bryson, Annie Malone's great-grandnephew, founder of New Millennium Institute, founder of Annie Malone's Center for Development, founder of Harvesting Dreams Program, author of Annie Malone, First Black Female Millionaire, and also founder of Annie Malone Mental Health Initiative. Go back. We got a bunch of other episodes, a lot of great perspectives to take in and if you don't I won't invite you to the family cookout have a good one I appreciate you listening peace